sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. The culture wars are heating up, and the battlefront today is abortion. We've seen a number of states pass very restrictive abortion laws. Our guest today is my friend and colleague, Amira Al-Haddad, who serves as the Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the Southern United States. Amira, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you. It's good to be back. Thanks for asking me. So, for starters, how about a, a recap of what some of these bills have done at the state level? Oh yeah, recap. Well, it's it's broad and it's kind of spreads goes through all the spectrum. Um, I think there are about seven states that have passed new abortion bills since the first of the year in my territory here in the southeast. There are three states, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama, that have passed new abortion bills. Um, to date, uh, the Alabama one seems to be the one that everybody is talking about. It seems to be the most egregious because the Alabama bill limits rape and uh not rape, it limits abortion, and it does not provide abortion for victims of rape or incest. And that's kind of gotten a lot of people upset. I know as I've been looking at the news the last couple of days, it looks like the White House has kind of separated itself from the Alabama bill um, because of the rape and incest uh, section, not providing for that for for those victims. But it well, started, it, I think... Is the Alabama, just to clarify, the Alabama bill isn't a total ban. There's like a, is it an eight-week window that women can yeah, obtain an abortion? I've got two states. One is Georgia and one is Alabama. I think Alabama is six weeks and Georgia is eight weeks or vice versa on the two. But it's a very narrow window that, quite frankly, I mean... Even if you wanted to get pregnant, you might not know within eight weeks that you were pregnant. So by eight weeks, you might start thinking you are, but by six weeks, you might not think or even know you were pregnant. So that is a problem. And if you're a child who's been a victim of rape or incest and you don't know anything about pregnancy, there's no way you would know that you were pregnant if you were um, a young girl that this had happened to. In, in Georgia, that bill says that it would provide for victims of rape or incest, but only if that had been reported and that there was a police record of it. So if you hadn't reported the crime, then you wouldn't be eligible, even if you had been raped or a victim of incest, you wouldn't have been able to do that. So like I said, they range very, very broadly. New York State's abortion bill, uh, 
added that you could have an abortion up to 26 weeks of pregnancy. So most of these abortion bills limit around a 20-week gestation period for pregnancy. New York decriminalized murder. So if you were to be in an accident and an unborn child was killed, it would decriminalize that as being murder for the person who hit you. you know, before if they had hit you, you could have been charged with murder if the lady had lost her child, the woman had lost her child. So that one is kind of on the liberal side. All the others seem to be on the more conservative side. And in Mississippi, although it hasn't gotten a lot of uh, news on the Mississippi side, Mississippi actually has been working on abortion bills for the last two or three sessions. And last year's abortion bill in Mississippi, the judge declared that that bill was was non-applicable because it denied women freedom of choice that the judge said they have the right to have. And he wasn't happy when he saw the 2019 bill because he says, it's like you guys ignored everything I said last year. And he just decided to make another bill all over again. So, you know, it runs the gamut in Georgia. The Georgia bill allows you to claim a tax deduction on an unborn child. The Georgia bill would also, yeah, the Georgia bill would also require that you pay alimony or child support to the unborn child. So, like I said, they're, they're running the gamut and People say, well, why are they doing this? I really think they're creating these really atrocious bills because they want to bring this attention to the Supreme Court because since Roberts got on the Supreme Court years ago, there's been this discussion of how do we get Roe versus Wade you know, reversed? How do we get the Supreme Court to look at these? And I think they just come up with the idea, well, let's just do these crazy outlandish things so that they'll have to look at it. And right now, it kind of seems like a toss-up between whether Georgia's bill or Alabama's bill will end up going before the Supreme Court. None of these bills are in effect at this time. So most of the bills don't go into effect for at least six months. I know the Georgia bill won't go into effect until January of 2020. So there is you know, some time. Um, I know that the end game here is to get to the Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade. And I don't know if you've given much thought to this, but I started wondering, so what does the nation look like? if Roe versus Wade is overturned. And I think what it looks like is two separate countries because we will have states like Alabama and Georgia with very restrictive laws because they'll be permitted to pass whatever laws they want regarding abortion, presumably. And then you'll have states like New York and California and many others which will have very permissive abortion laws. Uh, and you'll have two very different sets. Um, But, you know, there's something else that I think people are missing. And there was a recent study done by the Guttmacher Institute that got some press that indicated that in jurisdictions that have more restrictive abortion laws, the incidence of abortion is actually greater than in states and countries with more liberal abortion laws, where 
the numbers of abortions, you know, of women having abortions per, you know, thousand or per 10,000, is actually lower. And when the laws are changed and made more permissive, the number of abortions goes down. And I think the question, you know, this is a, a, you know, we're on Christian radio. We're both of us serving a Christian church that is very staunchly protective, you know, morally in the sanctity of human life, including the unborn. So that's, that's not, uh, you know, that's not a question. The question is, is the approach to law an effective means of reducing the number of abortions? You know, people are, are agitated by the number of abortions, and this is a moral travesty. And I get that. But it appears that trying to legislate this issue, trying to criminalize it, isn't going to help any more than it did uh, eliminate, uh, you know, kids smoking pot. Yeah, it's almost like that psychological reverse effect. You know, I want to do the thing you tell me I cannot do. (laughs) I don't know that that takes place here, but, you know, I mean, obviously the problem is if you can't get, you know, if you're going to have an abortion and you can't get adequate medical care, um, someone wanted to do a campaign to send coat hangers to the governor of Alabama. You know, um, which is a little over the top, of course, and very offensive. But, but you know, um, illegal abortions are far worse. They're very dangerous. Women are getting killed. And I'm not sure that we're, um, if we're really pro-life, that we're really thinking straight about the best way to accomplish that goal. Well, and, you know, it's funny because, as you mentioned, that issue, it brings to mind how these bills are worded. So the use of the word abortion is only used when it is the medical action that the state doesn't like. So if you're terminating a pregnancy in the first 20 weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, whatever the language of the bill is, the state refers to that medical procedure as an abortion. If you're terminating a pregnancy because of one of the exceptions that the state allows, and and even though Alabama's bill is draconian, it does have some exceptions. They're very hard to jump through. Uh, you know, pretty much your child has to be stillborn if you're going to terminate the pregnancy. And if you're going to terminate the pregnancy based on mental competency of a mother, you have to have two physicians agree that the mother is mentally affected by the pregnancy, not just one, but two. So the way the states all terminate this is if you're terminating your pregnancy, in that unacceptable time period within the law, then it's an abortion. If you're terminating your pregnancy because of one of their allotted exceptions to the rules, it's never referred to as an abortion. It's referred to as a terminating pregnancy or termination of medical procedure. So they definitely want you to understand the word abortion as being something terrible and bad, even if it's abortion that's acceptable under the law or within your own religious beliefs. And I say religious beliefs because I kind of think we have to look 
at differing religions and how they approach an unborn child. Because there are differing religious beliefs that should come into play if we're going to start talking about religious freedom. And You know, you know Amira, I think we're going to have to do a second show and a second discussion because we don't have time to say everything that needs to be said here. But when you talk about differing religious beliefs, Roman Catholic theology is what has been driving the pro-life movement from the get-go. And Protestants do not, for the most part, we as Seventh-day Adventists certainly do not share the Roman Catholic understanding of the immortal soul that allegedly enters the, the fetus at the moment of conception. Uh, we don't believe that. Immortality of the soul is a Greek idea. It's not biblical. And, uh, you know, the biblical concept is very different. That doesn't mean Protestants are any less respectful of the sanctity of the unborn and Seventh-day Adventists among them. But you're right. There are very different religious beliefs, and it's very distasteful that we're building, not just distasteful, but possibly even implicates the Constitution when we're essentially using Roman Catholic theology as the basis for these laws. Yeah, and it's it's affected all of Protestantism, at least here in the United States. And if you know history of Roe versus Wade and how Protestants in America, not just Seventh-day Adventists, but even Baptists and Southern Baptists at that, reacted to the Roe versus Wade opinion, which they kind of applauded it when it first came out. It right. wasn't, you know, it was through the Catholic Church romancing Protestantism in this abortion issue that kind of has turned evangelicals to the Catholic understanding of, of abortion. And I think that this is important when you talk about religious freedom, when you talk about the separation of church and state in the abortion. Listener, I got to cut you off, Amira. We're going to stay tuned next week. We're going to have to do part two. We just have to because there's so much more to talk about. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynott. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.